Greetings. This is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will take a look at Acts chapter 21, verse 33, through chapter 22, verse 21. In our last teaching, Paul and his companions had finally arrived in Jerusalem. However, their visit there met with a great confrontation instigated by some Jews who had traveled from Ephesus to attend Pentecost. They had stirred up the crowd with false charges against Paul, and we left Paul in their hands as great violence broke out against him. I'll pick up our reading with chapter 21, but with verse 30, in order to keep the passage in its proper context. Let me now read Acts 21, verse 30. And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. So he could could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult. He commanded him to be taken into the barracks. And when he had reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after crying out, Away with him! Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I speak to you? He replied, Can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins into the wilderness? But Paul said, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. Well, as this passage relates, the Jews, along with the crowd, were trying to kill Paul. They dragged him out of the temple and were beating him mercilessly. This was not the first time that Paul had experienced this kind of unjust treatment. We've seen it again and again as we've walked with Paul through his missionary journeys from town to town. But to get the full scope of what was taking place here, let me quote from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul lists out in one very long sentence what persecutions and sufferings he had experienced throughout his ministry in the name of Jesus Christ. Beginning with verse 24, Paul writes, From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, 
A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things which comes upon me daily, my, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? And if I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison, desiring to arrest me, but I was let down in, in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. All of this, and probably more, the Apostle Paul suffered for love of his Lord. And yet, he was determined to go to Jerusalem during this time when Jews from all over the country, all over the known world, actually, would be traveling there to celebrate this annual festival. Why? Because he loved his countrymen, the Jews, his brethren. This he deeply felt and eagerly expressed. He earnestly desired that they would believe in Jesus, who is the promised Messiah, the Holy One of Israel, in fulfillment of all the prophets had foretold long ago. And in fact, his passion for the Jews is poured out in Romans chapters 9 through 11. Let me read just a small portion of that. Beginning with verse 1, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers and from whom According to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all and eternally blessed, God. Amen. Chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This is why Paul went to Jerusalem. He's being led by the Holy Spirit. However, the people would not listen to him in fact, they hardly gave him a chance. 
But even in this, God was at work. And as we will see, Paul will actually be given an opportunity to share his personal testimony with all those who had gathered there. This is a perfect example of the principle stated in Romans 8.28, which says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Well, this was quickly turning into a situation of mob rule growing completely out of control. It was heard about by the commander of the Roman regiment in the city. Acts 23:26 tells us that this man's name was Claudius Lysias. He was head of a cohort, which is a, a special group, part of a legion of Roman soldiers, perhaps as many as a thousand men. Claudius Lysias was the senior Roman official in Jerusalem, and he immediately ordered his soldiers to control a potential riot. When they arrived, the people finally stopped beating Paul, and, and the commander put Paul under arrest, putting him in chains, two chains, just like Agabus had predicted in verse 11. When the prophet Agabus prophesied concerning what Paul could expect in Jerusalem. Do you remember what that was? Let me read that verse again. When Agabus had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Once again, God's prophetic word is proven true. But for Claudius Lysias, he was under the mistaken impression that Paul was the Egyptian who had previously stirred up a rebellion. However, as soon as Paul spoke to him in Greek, the language of Rome, he quickly came to the conclusion that he might be mistaken in this assumption. The Jewish historian Josephus gives us some background into this Egyptian that was referenced by Claudius Lysias. And this man had become such a threat to Rome. He writes that an Egyptian false prophet, who about three years previously had got together 30,000 men, led them to the Mount of Olives and prophesied or promised them that when the walls of Jerusalem fell flat at his command, they would be able to break into the city and overpower the Romans. But the procurator, Felix, and his troops intervened, and this scari, which is a, a dagger, known as dagger men, or, or the fanatical national assassins, they were killed and captured or scattered, and the Egyptian disappeared. And this commander that was present at, at, with Paul, well, he first thought that, uh, that this man had come back and was showing himself again. So Paul enlightened him about his own identity. And you will note that he understood that Paul was obviously an educated man. So Paul began to tell this man about who he was, his background and heritage as a Jew, who was born in Tarsus, located in Cilicia, 
which meant that he was born a Roman citizen. It was a significant city. And Paul pleaded with this Roman commander for the opportunity to speak to his countrymen. In receiving permission, Paul used this opportunity to share his personal testimony to all the people who had just beaten him. I must confess that I am moved by Paul's compassion and passion for his people. In this, he is exhibiting the same kind of love that Jesus has for us. I'm reminded of a passage in Romans chapter 5, which says this, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. As this passage affirms, we were all God's enemies because we did not seek him, nor did we love him. Instead, we, we lived in rebellion against him and his holiness. We wanted to live life our way instead of his. Yet God still loves us and his love is revealed in the cross. The Bible says in Romans chapter three, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there's no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is who we were. So God sent Jesus to live among us, to, to die on the cross for our sins, to rise to life after three days. And Jesus is alive even now, today, this very moment. Therefore, we can also read this in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me read for you a beautiful passage in Ephesians chapter 2 that describes this wonderful gift of salvation. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace 
in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest you should boast. Did you catch that? We were powerless to save ourselves because we were spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. We could not earn our salvation. There could not be enough good works that we could do to earn our salvation or secure it because we were spiritually dead. And only the living can enter heaven. So what we could not do, Jesus did for us. Jesus made us spiritually alive. And this gift of life is a gift of grace. If you could earn it, it wouldn't be grace. It is Christ's perfect sinless blood that was shed on the cross that purchased our salvation. As verse 8 affirms, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, faith in Jesus and the work he did on the cross. And all of this is a gracious gift of God to you, to me, to all who would receive it with all of their heart, no turning back. Well, let's continue with our passage in Acts. Upon receiving permission to speak to this unruly crowd, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned for them to be silent so that he could speak to them. I wonder what the people saw when Paul stood there in front of them. Remember, they had just been beating him over and over again. He had to have been bloodied, bruised, perhaps a black eye that was swelling up, clothing torn. Did their conscience begin to trouble them? Surely there were those who were fuming with anger, but let me remind you that the nature of a riot is that many people simply get caught up in the excitement without knowing the facts or individuals involved. So let me read Paul's defense for you in its entirety. However, we won't have time in this session to fully discuss this passage, so we will pick it up in our next session. But let's turn now to Acts chapter 22, and I'll begin reading with verse 1. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there in Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened, as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. 
And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to him, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him, Jesus, saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, consenting to his death, guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then Jesus said to me, Depart, for I will send you far away from here to the Gentiles. So when Paul began to speak, the Bible says that he spoke in the Hebrew language. Most scholars agree that he was speaking in Aramaic, the language of the common man in, in Jerusalem at that time. And his goal was to try to establish common ground with his listener. So by using Aramaic and his own personal Jewish background, he sought to address their concerns that they had been presenting, that they had assumed that Paul was teaching against the law in the temple. I like the way Dr. Warren Wearsby describes Paul's opening in his defense. Wearsby writes, Note how Paul piled up his Jewish credentials. He was a Jew, a native of Tarsus, brought up in Jerusalem, trained by Gamaliel, a follower of the law, a zealous persecutor of the church, a representative of the Sanhedrin. How could his countrymen not respectfully listen to a man with that kind of a record? Instead of accusing them of participating in a riot, Paul commended them for being zealous toward God. He admitted that he too had been guilty of having people arrested and bound and even killed. Paul's personal testimony provides us in our day 
with a perfect template of how to present our personal testimony. It is composed of three parts, our life before Jesus, our encounter with Jesus, and our life in Christ now that we are saved by his grace. Paul was very honest about his life before he was saved. He never forgot who he had been and what he had done against Christ in his church. In fact, in his letter to the church in Corinth, Paul wrote this, chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, whom not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Paul never forgot that he was a sinner saved by grace through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we would do well to remember that as well. Paul told them that before Jesus revealed himself to, to Paul, he was zealous toward God, but it was a passion based on his own works. And sadly, his works had been violent. He had persecuted Christians, arresting them, killing them, men and women alike. And he even had obtained letters of introduction to government leaders in the various towns he visited, giving him authority to arrest and worse, all those who were followers of the way, which is what Christians were called in those days. This was probably because of the defining declaration that Jesus had made at the Last Supper when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In fact, in Paul's final journey with his intent on persecuting the church, he was on his way to Damascus to arrest even more Christians and haul them back to Jerusalem for trial and execution. And he pointed out that there were those standing in, in the midst that day, right there standing in front of him, who knew firsthand that 
What he had just shared was true because they were among those who had provided Paul with those necessary documents long ago. This then is the first part of Paul's testimony, his life before Christ, a persecutor of the church, a violent man, angry man, passionate, yes, but for all the wrong reasons. But then Jesus showed up and life was never the same again for Paul. Well, we are out of time. So we will pick up Paul's testimony in our next session, but let me ask you this. What is your story? What is your testimony? I would encourage you to begin to think about how you would share with someone what Jesus has done for you, your life before Christ, how Jesus revealed himself to you, what your life is now because Jesus has transformed you and made you his own dear child. You know, time is short and Jesus is still calling us to be his witnesses even until we draw our last breath. So let me remind you of what Paul wrote to his spiritual son, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Paul wrote, this is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. But my dear friend, let us be found faithful. Faithful to him who has been so faithful to us. Being his faithful witness, bearing a faithful testimony, living a faithful life. Is he not worthy of our service? Is he not worthy of our, of our, our obedience? Isn't he so wonderful that you can't hardly keep silent because of the good things that he's done for you? Tell someone about Jesus. Be bold. Sometimes it will not be easy, but God is with you. And you never know what God will do if you are faithful. Heavenly Father, we thank you, O oh God, for the instruction that comes from your word and this example of how to be a witness for you in this day that we live in. Lord Jesus, you have completely changed our lives and we are so thankful for your grace and your mercy and your unfailing love. But we know, O oh God, that you saved us not just to be saved, but that we also might be a testimony and witness to others so that they also might enjoy your blessings of grace and mercy. So make us bold, Lord. Make us your bold witnesses. Make us faithful, O oh God, Impress upon us, light the fire within us, Lord, because time is short. 
And there are so many who still have not heard this testimony, this glorious truth that Jesus died for sins and rose from the dead and now sits as King of kings and Lord of lords and longing to, to forgive all the sins of all who would call upon him. And Lord, if there's anyone who is listening who is not yet settled, settled the issue with you, I pray, oh God, that, that, that my dear friend would cry out to you and ask you to forgive and ask you to be the Savior of their life and the Lord of their life. And when they do, oh God, I pray that you will pour out your Holy Spirit with power upon them according to promises in your word that you would cleanse from sin and that you would breathe new life in And I ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you're finding these messages helpful and encouraging, or if you have a question that you would like to ask, please feel free to email me at BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. That's BibleTimeWithJane, all one word, at gmail.com. So until next time, my friend, in the words of Scripture, I want to exhort you to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. God bless you, my friend.